You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Well, I hope you came today with an expectant attitude, ready to hear a word from God to change your life. Good. Because I really believe that the message that I have today, I I just have to let you know up front that I'm going to get all up in your stuff today, all right? And I'm sorry if I step on your toes, but I need to cause some uncomfortability in order to help us grow. Because don't you know that when you get uncomfortable, that's when you start to grow? You know, I I started working out with this guy named Colby two weeks ago. And uh, I just got, this isn't part of my sermon, I just want to share it with you. Uh, That's why I'm sitting down right now. He's a bodybuilder, and uh, I thought I knew what it meant to work out, but I started working out with him, and my workout routine just, like, doubled and tripled in intensity, and I'm sore all the time. And I told my wife that, but I I said, so, sorry, honey. Um, Well, never mind. I won't tell you what we talked about. But (laughs) I'm sore all the time. (laughs) But I just like to think that because I'm sore, my muscles are growing. But in order for my muscles to grow, in order for me to get massive, I got to get uncomfortable and push some weight that's heavy. In the same way, I want to make you a little bit uncomfortable today because my hope is not that you'll agree with me or disagree with me, but that you'll be made uncomfortable to the point where you say, I can't stay here, but I got to grow. Uh, I, I refuse to stay comfortable. I'm going to grow to where we're going to go. So um, in his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, Donald Miller uh, wrote a chapter called How Jason Saved His Family. Now, that's a, that's a chapter you want to read, right? That's a, that's a movie you would want to watch, how Jason saved his family. Not, not how Jason saved up to buy a Volvo. Nobody cares about that. But how Jason saved his family. And he writes this, When I got back from Los Angeles, I got together with my friend Jason, who had a 13-year-old daughter. He was feeling down because he and his wife had found pot hidden in their daughter's closet. She was dating a guy, too, a kid who smelled like smoke and only answered questions with single words. Yeah, no, whatever, and why? And why was the answer that Jason hated most. Have her home by 10, Jason would say. Why, the guy would ask. Dads, how many of you, your blood is boiling right now? If some punk little kid asked you why, the guy would ask. Jason figured this guy was the reason his daughter was experimenting with drugs. You thinking about grounding her ass, not allowing her to date him? Well, we've tried that, but it's gotten worse. Jason shook his head and fidgeted his his fingers on the table. Then I said something that caught his attention. I said his daughter was living a terrible story. What do you mean, he asked. I don't know exactly, but she's just not living a very good story. She's caught up in a bad one. Uh, We must have talked for an hour or more just about story and how novels work and why some movies are meaningful and others simply aren't. I didn't think much of it. I just figured he was curious about movies. A couple of months later, I ran into Jason and asked about his daughter. She's, she's better, he said to me, smiling. And when I asked why, he told me his family was living a better story. The night after we talked, Jason couldn't sleep. He thought about the story his daughter was living and the role she was playing inside that story. 
He realized he hadn't provided a better role for his daughter. He hadn't mapped out a story for his family. And so his daughter had chosen another story, a story in which she was wanted, even if she was only being used. In the absence of a family story, she'd chosen a story in which there was risk and adventure, rebellion and independence. She's not a bad girl, my friend said. She was just choosing the best story available to her. I pictured his daughter flipping through the channels of life, as it were, stopping on a story that seemed most compelling at the moment, a story that offered her something, anything, because people can't live without a story and without a role to play. Jason decided to stop yelling at his daughter and instead created a better story to invite her into. He said, I started researching some stuff on the internet and I came across an organization that builds orphanages around the world. And that sounded to me like a pretty good ambition, something maybe my family could try to do together. It sounded like a good story. So I called this organization, Jason continued, and it takes about $25,000 to build one of these orphanages. And the truth is, we don't have the money. I mean, we just took out a second mortgage, but I knew if we were going to tell a good story, it would have to involve risk. So I went home and I called a family meeting, my friend continued. I didn't tell my wife first, which turns out was a mistake. But I told them about this village uh, and about the orphanage and all these terrible things that could happen if these kids didn't get an orphanage. And then I told them I agreed to build it. You're kidding me, I said. No, I'm not. And my wife sat there looking at me like I'd lost my mind. And my daughter, her eyes were as big as melons and she wasn't happy. She knew this would mean she'd have to give up her allowance and who knows what else. They just sat there in silence. And the longer they sat there, the more I wondered if I'd lost my mind too. Jason went on to explain that his wife and daughter went back to their separate rooms and neither of them talked to him. The next day he said, Annie, who was his wife, came to me while I was doing the dishes. He collected his words. See, things had just been tense for the past year, Don. I haven't told you everything, but my wife came to me and put her arms around me and leaned her face into the back of my neck and told me she was proud of me. Don, I hadn't heard Annie say anything like that in years. She said, we have an orphanage to build. And then Rachel, this is his daughter, came into our bedroom maybe a few days later and asked if we could go to Mexico. Annie and I just sort of looked at her and I didn't know what to say. So then Rachel crawled between us in the bed like she did when she was little. She said she could talk about the orphanage on her website and maybe people could help. She could post pictures. She wanted to go to Mexico to meet the kids and take pictures for her website. And you know what else, man? Jason said. She broke up with her boyfriend last week. She had his picture on her dresser and took it down and told me he said she was too fat. Can you believe that? What a jerk. A jerk, I agreed. But that's done now, Jason said, shaking his head. No girl who plays the role of a hero dates a guy who uses her. She knows who she is. She just forgot for a little while. See, what Jason did was he invited his daughter into a better story. And not only did he invite his daughter into a better story, but he invited his family into a better story. And today, as we conclude this series, Lion Chasers, that's been my hope. My hope throughout this series is to encourage you and inspire you and ultimately invite you into writing a better story with your life. And not just for you to write a better story with your life, but for us as a church to write a better story. For us to enter into the story that God is seeking to write 
with us. And as we conclude this series, Lion Chasers, my, my hope and my prayer for you is that uh, this isn't the closing of your commitment to chase some lions. Uh, my hope that this isn't a, a closing of your commitment to chase some lions, not just in your life, but also as a church. Because I believe that God wants to take us to the next level as a church, but to do that, it's going to take all of us going all in and agreeing to chase some lions. Because for, for so many of us, if, if you were to look at your life, your story, your narrative could be told with words like seeking comfort or caution or, or maybe even self-destruction. But I want you to be able to write a story where you look back on the narrative of your, of your life and it's filled with chasing lions, slaying giants, and climbing cliffs. I want to invite us to write a better story. And today I want to talk to you about a guy uh, who was given an opportunity. But because he didn't seize the moment, the opportunity passed him up and somebody else accomplished what, what, what God wanted to accomplish through him. And I believe today that God wants to accomplish some great things in our church. I believe that God wants to take our church to the next level where we have a citywide influence, a statewide influence, where we see more and more people coming to discover who he is, having their lives changed and transformed by him. But if we don't rise to the occasion as a church, God will find another church to accomplish his purpose in this city. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want us to get passed up. And so to help us get to the next level, to help us get where I believe God is calling us to go, I want to show you how this man in the scriptures missed an opportunity, and God found somebody else to do it. And the guy that I'm talking about, his name is Barack. Uh, no relation to our president, just the same name. Uh, but his name is Barack, and you can read about his story in Judges chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and open up to Judges chapter 4 in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 4. We'll also have the words for it on the screen. Uh, as we read along. But it's Judges chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 1. Uh, here's what's recorded for us. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. Ehud was the leader of Israel uh, before this time. So uh, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of the army, was based in Harasheth Haggium because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinon, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, this is God's plan delivered through Deborah for Barak. And the plan is this. She says, God has said, I want you to get 10,000 men. I want you to go to Mount Tabor and I'm going to give Sisera into your hands. This sounds like a done deal to me, right? This sounds like a plan has already uh, been prepared. And so God says, take 10,000 men, and I'm going to give Sisera into your hands. It's already done. It's already planned. It's already prepared. You know, I should preach a sermon one day entitled, It's Already Done. And in that sermon, I should say a line like this. You just have to walk out the walkthrough that's already been worked out. That's a good line, isn't it? 
Well, that sermon's already been preached, March 22nd, if you want to go listen to it. But it's already done. It's already planned out. It's already prepared. Barack, I've already set everything up. All you got to do is walk in it. It's already done. And then here's what happens. Barack said to her in verse 8, well, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Barack says to Deborah, Deborah, I've heard what God's plan is for me, to gather 10,000 men to go to Mount Tabor, and then he's going to give Sisera into my hands. But let me tell you my plan. I've heard what God said, but now let me tell you what I say. Deborah, I'll go if you go. And I don't know why he says this. Maybe he wants to impress Deborah. Maybe he wants to get with her. I don't know what it is, but he says, I'll go if you go. But Deborah, if you don't go, nah, I'm not going to go. You know, there, there are times in your life where you cannot do what God has called you to do the way that you want to do it, but you got to do it the way God has called you to do it. Did, did I lose you on that? Here, I'll say it again. There are times in your life where you can't do what God has called you to do the way that you want to do it, but you got to do it the way that he's called you to do it. God has already planned it out. It's already prepared. Barack just has to walk in it, but he says, hold on, hold on. Let me add a stipulation to it. I want to do it my way, not God's way. Uh, let me give you some examples to, to help us out in this. Uh, Maybe today you're saying, God, I'm believing you for a magnificent marriage, and I believe that God wants you to have a magnificent marriage, but if you're dating, you can't do it your way. You, you can't say, well, I'm going to live with her and sleep with her to test it out to see if it's going to be okay. That's your way, but God's plan is that you would pursue purity to get to the magnificent marriage. Are you with me? You can't do it the way that you want to do it. You got to do the way he's called you to do it. What? I just believe that God wants to see my business succeed. I believe it too. But that's not going to happen as long as you continue to follow your way, cutting corners. you got to pursue his plan, which is a plan of integrity. He'll grow your business as you pursue integrity. Well, I just believe God for financial freedom, yes. And God wants to give you financial peace as well. But you can't do it as long as you're going to five bucks every single day. you got to get some self-discipline. That's Starbucks, by the way. you got to get some self-discipline and say, no, you got to develop a budget. That's his plan. You can't get to where God wants you to go doing it your way. You got to do it the way he's called you to do it. Well, I just, I love God. I'm, uh, I'm a Christian. I, I want to get closer to him, but I don't really need to be a part of a church. I'll just show up every once in a while. That's your way. God's plan says you need to get planted in his house. See, Barack had a stipulation. Well, that's nice that God wants to do that in my life, but, but let me tell you what I say. I heard what he said. Let me tell you what I say. I won't go unless you go, but if you go, I'll go. And then verse 9, here's what Deborah says. Well, certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, because you're deciding to go your plan, because you don't want to do it the way God has told you to do it, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Now, this is devastating news for Barak right here. Because Barak is a warrior, he's a conqueror. And Deborah said, because you want to do it your own way, you're not going to get the glory God wanted to give you. But he's going to find somebody else to do it, and it's going to be a woman who kills Sisera. Now, the reason why this is a blow to his uh, humility and uh, uh, a blow to his pride here is because in this day and age, women were looked down upon. They, were, they had a low standing. And so Deborah is an anomaly to be able to be leading the nation of Israel. But in this day and age, then, uh, they looked down on women. Women didn't have a place of high standing. Now, now we understand uh, that all men are created equal. And when our founders wrote that, they weren't just talking about the anatomy between your legs, but they were saying that all of humanity is created equal. 
And, and we get that too in Genesis 1.27 we, when we see that God created uh, humanity in his image. He created them male and female. So all people are created equal. All people are created in the image of God. But the people back then didn't have a declaration like that. They didn't understand that. And so they held women at a, at a lower view in society. And so when Deborah says, well, I'll go with you. But the glory and the success and the honor and the valor that God was going to give you, he's going to give it to a woman now because you want to do it the way that you want to do it. And see, because, because Barak is so fixated on his plan, God says, well, I'll just find somebody else to do it. Because Barak is so fixated on what he wants to do, he misses out on what God wants to do in him and through him. Here, I want to help you out right here in 2016. I'm, I'm going to help some single people out, some dating people. Could it be that you're so fixated on dating the little boy of a man that you're with right now, you know, the guy who doesn't have a job, the guy who doesn't treat you right, the guy who doesn't love Jesus, the guy who has no manners, could it be that you're so fixated on dating him that you'll miss out on the person that God is preparing for you? See, you got to set some standards and say no to him. Listen, honey, you got to drop that hamburger at McDonald's because there's a Roos Chris steak waiting for you. As long as you hold on to the hamburger, somebody else is going to get your steak, girl. And if, you're, and if you're a guy and you're listening to this and you're saying, Pastor, don't say that. She's going to leave me. Well, you need to step up. You need to become that steak, brother. She deserves more. And listen, and this isn't just for girls. I mean, you, you could flip the scenario, too. This is the same for guys, too. Guys, make sure the, the woman that you're dating is somebody who loves Jesus. Somebody who has a vision for her life. She's not some princess always wanting you to get stuff for and take, come on now. Ain't got time for that. But could it be that you're so fixated and you settle? Well, this is just what, that you'll miss out on what God really wants to give you and what he wants to do in your life. Listen, I know, I know you're organized. I know you plan out everything, which is good. You should be organized. You should plan out everything. But, but you got your entire calendar plan. You got your money budgeted out. All that's good. All that's great. But you're so fixated on your plan that when God calls you to serve, you say, God, I can't serve because my calendar says I can't. God, I'd love to serve on Sundays, but I can't because my calendar is too full. I just don't have the time to serve in your kingdom. God, I'd love to be generous. I'd love to take it to the next level, but I can't because I already made my budget, and you're not a line item, God. See, when you make your budget, you put God first, and everything else falls in place. God, I, I know I should reach out to people, but I'm so maxed out relationally. I just, I just can't afford to reach out to anybody and bring them to come to know you. Could, could it be that God is trying to use you to grow his kingdom, but you're so busy growing your kingdom that you don't have any room to participate in what he's trying to do? See, you can't be so fixated on your plan because here's what God does. God comes into your calendar and he destroys it all and says, oh, you plan on doing this? <laughs> and then he switches it around and says, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm calling you to do. But so many of us, because we're so fixated on our plan and how we got our life mapped out and how we're building our kingdom, have no room to build the kingdom of God. See, Barack was so fixated on his plan that Deborah said, okay, I'll go with you. But if you want to do it your way, then you're not going to get the glory and the honor that God wanted to give you in your life. And so here's what takes place in uh, Judges chapter 4, verse 9b. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There, Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Uh, now Heber the Kenite 
had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up from Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned uh, from Harasheth Haggium to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? He's already gone ahead of you. He's given him into your hands. It's already done. So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and the army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Haggium, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered the tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. And she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Do you see how crafty Jael is here? Here's this man, Sisera. He's, he's been in battle all day long. And now he's just run 10 miles to get to her tent. So he's exhausted. He comes into her tent. She lays him down in the bed, and she covers him up with a nice, warm, comfortable blanket. He says, I'm, I'm parched. I'm, I'm thirsty. I need a cool drink of water. And J.L. breaks open a skin of warm milk. And she fills his belly full of warm milk. He's laying in a bed under a comfortable blanket. <sighs> and he says to her, stand, stand in the doorway of the tent. <sighs> if anyone comes and asks you, is there a man there? Say no. And then he drifts off to sleep. Jael is trying to put this man to sleep because she knows what she's about to do. So, but Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she hovered that tent peg over Sisera's temple. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. JL, the tent peg punisher. She drove the tent peg into his temple, into the ground, all the way through. And just in case you didn't know what happens when somebody drives a tent peg into your temple all the way through into the ground, he died. Just then, just then, just then, seconds later, moments later, he just missed it. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said. I'll show you the man that you're looking for the man whom God was going to deliver into your hands, the, the man whom you were going to get the glory for, for killing. I'll show you where he is. So he went in with her 
and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple. And just in case you forgot, he was dead. And it said, on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against, the, against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. See, God said to Barak, I want to write a story with your life. And Barak said, well, I'll participate in the story as long as we do it based on my plan, as long as I get some creative license to write some of that story. God said, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. And so because you want to do your plan, I'll use somebody else to gain the glory. Uh, here's the principle I want to teach you from this passage. It's this, that God is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. God is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish, whether you're part of the plan or not. See, God said to Barak, I want to use you in my plan because I want Sisera dead. Barak said, well, I don't really want to do it like you want me to do it. And God said, that's fine. I won't use you then. I'll use JL. See, the thing is, Sisera was going to die one way or the other, whether it was at the hands of Barak or at JL's hand. God is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. And he's wondering, will you be a willing participant in the story that he's writing? Because if you won't be a willing participant in the story he's writing, he'll find somebody else. Because it's going to happen. And here's the thing. I don't want to miss out on what God wants to accomplish in my life. I don't want it to go to somebody else. I, I, I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and say, and God say, this is all the things that could have happened in your life. But because you refuse to be a willing participant, I just found somebody else. I don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in me. And I don't want you to miss out on what God wants to do in your life. And so because of this truth, there's this phrase that I live by, uh, and I say it quite often, it's this, it's run with the runners. Run with the runners. Like I see it as my role to run with the runners. I, I see life like this, like I'm running a race, and my job is to continue to run that race. And there are people all the time who are gonna join me in running that race, and I gotta run with the runners. I can't get sidetracked. I can't get down and out with the people who stop running with me, but I just got to run with the runners because God is going to accomplish something in my life. God is going to accomplish something in your life. And if I get sidetracked on the sidelines, then I'll miss out. So I got to run with the runners. And I want to explain what that means to you. And I want you to hear me when I say this so you fully understand where I'm coming from. And also, I believe this is a good phrase for you to live out in your own life. See, Paul talks about life uh, as a race. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. I just don't want you to miss out. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And so he describes life as a race that we're running. And it's our role to run. It's our role to run the race that's marked out for us. When I think about my life, I see it as a race. When I think about leading this church, I see it as me running a race as the leader of this church. And the race that we're running as a church is, is a race with the destination of seeing people raised to true life. That's why we exist. 
And so if anybody ever asks you, hey, what is the rising all about? You could just tell them, we're a church designed to see people raised to true life. That's what it is. That's the race that we're running on. And, and I've been running this race for the past four years. Now, now, we're coming up on our two-year anniversary as a church in September, but I've been running for four years because I had this vision given by God about launching a church to see people raised to true life, and I had to start doing some work to see this church launched. I had to come around some people and say, hey, guys, here's this race that I'm running. It's a race that's going to see people raised to true life. Will you come run with me? And I had to build a launch team of people, 35 people who came alongside and said, Pastor, we're going to run this race with you. I had to raise some money to, to start this church. So I had to go, go around to people and say, hey, I'm about to run this race, and we're going to run for a long time. We're going to see people raised to true life. We're going to see people who didn't know Jesus come to know Jesus, give their lives to him, and be changed forever. Will you run with me? And what we did was I did some fundraisers. I did uh, four dessert fundraisers over a period of two weeks. I told them about this race that I was going to start running. 52 people came to hear about this race, and they gave $54,000 in two weeks to say, we want to fund that. We want to help you run. We want to get in the race with you. And so I've been running for the past four years. And what I've been doing uh, as a leader of this church is I'm just kind of, I, I see it as my role to come up alongside people and say, hey, here's the race that we're running. Come on, run with us. We're running a race to see people raised to true life. Come on and run with us. And there have been people who have come alongside me and said, pastor, we're in this. How can we serve? How can we give? How can we bring people? How can we run at full speed the race marked out for us? Because we want to get to that destination too. And so my role as the leader of our church is to say, come on, join the race. We got a race to run. Let's go. But as time has gone by, there have been people who have chosen to run with me. And I thank God for these people because they got us to where we are. But there are people, and this is going to continue to happen in the future as we continue to grow, as we continue to reach more people. There are people who have said, Pastor, we're going to run with you, but then they got sidetracked. They decided to run a different race. They wanted to go to a different destination. Well, well I just enjoy a more traditional church. That, that's fine, but that's not the race we're running. We're running a race to see people raised to true life. Come on, let's run. Well, well, Pastor, I, I'd rather just go to a church that's more laid back, a little more casual, a church that doesn't ask a whole lot of me. Well, that's fine, and there are churches all over the place that you can go to to be a part of that, but we're running a race designed to see people raised to true life, and that's a pretty urgent race. And so we're going to keep running. You can go be laid back somewhere else, but we're running in this destination. Well, Pastor, you know, at my last church, go back to your last church then. We're running to see people raised to true life. We're not your last church. We're going to move forward to run the race God is calling us to. And it's my role, I see it, to be one who, as we're running and people get sidetracked or people get tired or people get detoured to say, no, 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 come on. Here's, here's the prize. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Here's where we're running to. Come on, let's run. Because we're running a race that's worth it. We're running a race that matters. But I can't stay on the sidelines. I can't stay sidetracked. Because for every person who loses focus, who loses vision, who says, I, I, I don't really know, there's more and more people who are joining the race. There's more and more people coming to this church and they're saying, I'm finding life here. This, this is amazing. God is changing my life. God is showing me something. And, and there's more and more people running the race and I got to run with the runners. It's my role to 
motivate and encourage and inspire those who are running to keep running. And so for those who are sidetracked and detoured, I love you, I care about you, come on, let's run, but I can't stay over here too long on the sideline because we got a race to run. We got people to reach. We got a mission to keep. We got a gospel to preach to a dying world. And I got to run with the runners. And I want to invite you today. Maybe you're on the sidelines. Maybe you've been observing as we've been running. I want to invite you today to jump on in and start running with us. I want to invite you today to say, I'm not just going to observe what's going on because I don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in this church. I don't want you to miss out on what God wants to do in your life by simply observing. Because here's the truth. God is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish, whether it's with you or not. I want it to be with you. I want us to run together. I want us to push forward full steam ahead. I just don't want to get passed over for an opportunity because God finds somebody else or he finds another church to do what he wants to accomplish. I know there are all sorts of different ways um, that we run this race and that we, we see the mission that God has for us as a church accomplished. One of those ways is by serving on a team. Uh, you know, there are people uh, who run on teams in our church, right? And so we have a VIP team who um, seek to create an amazing, irresistible environment each and every Sunday for people when they come in. Chances are you came in and you had some of our VIP team members giving you an umbrella so that you could walk through the rain, right? Uh, they, they're like, okay, well, I'll go get wet so other people don't have to. Uh, when you came in, you should have been greeted by like five different people, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is an amazing atmosphere. People love to be here. That's our VIP team, and they serve so that we could accomplish our mission to see people raised to true life. Uh, we have a production team that, plays, that pays close attention to detail to make sure that the worship experience that you experience each and every Sunday uh, is amazing and helps you connect with God. Uh, we have a, a kids ministry where people serve on that team and they give their all to pour into your kids to grow them and invest in them and let them know that God has a purpose and a plan for their life. And there are people who are serving right now upstairs, missing out on this worship experience so that they can run this race so that we can accomplish this mission. We have a security team uh, who takes time each and every Sunday to ensure that our worship experience is safe and secure so you don't have to worry about your safety or anything crazy going on. We have uh, people who serve on a creative team who plan out and execute creative elements for what you experience every single Sunday. This worship experience was planned uh, like a month ago about what we we're going to do here. And we have people who serve on that team in order to help us accomplish our mission. We have musicians who practice and play with overjoyed attitudes every Sunday to lead us into the truth that God is here with us. Uh, we also have people who serve on team headquarters crew. And what they do is they honor and serve our uh, team members who serve, they, they serve them breakfast every single Sunday just to give them a great uh, attitude as they get ready to serve. And so we have people who have been serving on teams ever since we've launched. These are people who said, hey, we're going to run the race. We're going to run with the runners because we got a mission to accomplish. And I know God's going to accomplish something with or without me. And I want to be a part of the story that he's writing. And I tell you all this because we have people who have been on these teams without you. 
and we've been accomplishing our mission, but I don't want us to continue to accomplish our mission without you. I want you to get in the race and start running on a team. I want you to get to know some people. I want you to build relationships with people. I want you to say, this is what we are doing because we are the rising. Not That's what they're doing, the church I go to and sit at. God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish through this church. I just don't want it to be without you. I don't want you to miss out on it. The, the same is true when it comes to generosity. You know, I told you about the people who generously gave so that we could launch uh, what, three or four years ago. And some of those people are people who are part of another church, people who are never going to be a part of this church. But they believed in the mission of what we were going to do. And they said, we want to give to that. We want to contribute to that. We want to we run with you in this way. And there are people just like you who are trying to figure out their finances, who return the tithe uh, on a weekly, on every other week, on a monthly basis, faithfully, because that's what God has called them to do, but also because they say, I want to be in on what God, God is doing in this, in this church. And I know he's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish with or without me, and I want it to be with me. And I just don't want you to miss out on what God wants to do in your life. And so if you're if you've never gotten in the race and started to, to give towards God, to exercise generosity, I just want to encourage you to do that. Because here's the truth. You'll never experience the abundant blessing of God until you break into the realm of generosity. I just don't want you to miss out on that. And that's not me saying that. That's God saying that. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, God says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. I just don't want you to miss out on the blessing God wants to do in your life. God's going to bless. But the question is, will you be a recipient of it? God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish, but the question is, will you be in the story that he's writing and be a part of what he's going to do? I don't want you to be like Barack. The, the same is true, too, when it comes to, to bringing somebody. I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity, knowing what it's like to be able to stand in the waters of baptism and baptize your friend because you brought them. I don't want you to miss out on knowing what that's like. Because here's the thing. You sit with people all week. There are people that you sit with at the dinner table in your family. There are people that you sit with in a cubicle at work. There are people that you sit with in your, in your class at school. You sit with them all week. I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity of having them sit with you on Sunday. I don't want for the scene to play out where at the end of our life, we're standing before the judgment seat of God, and the person that you sit with all the time says, how come you never asked me to come sit with you on Sunday? How come you never told me about this Jesus who was changing your life? How come you never extended the invitation to me? Because what would it be like, what would it be like if because you asked your friend, the person you work with, your husband, to come sit with you on Sunday, they heard about a God who loved them, who's been pursuing them their whole life, 
and longs to invite them into a relationship with him, and they said yes to him, and then you got the opportunity to be the one to baptize them. What? what listen, I don't want you to miss out on that opportunity. God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. The question is, will you be a willing participant in the story that he's writing? So I believe today that each and every one of us has a decision to make. It's a decision to run or not. I want to be the kind of person who says, man, I ran with the runners. I was running toward a destination. I was running toward a mission. And God, I open up my life as a willing participant to allow you to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish in my life. And I'm thankful you didn't pass me up. I want to give you a chance today to make that decision. And it's just, just something that, that you can des- decide for yourself to say, I'm going to start running. I'm going to be a character in the story God is writing. In order for us to go to the next level as a church, it's going to take all of us deciding to run. It's going to take all of us going all in. It's going to take us saying, I'm going to start serving on a team because it matters. I'm going to continually exercise generosity to fuel the mission and the vision for where we're headed. I'm going to bring people like there is no tomorrow because there might not be a tomorrow. I'm going to go all in and run with my eyes fixed on the prize because here's what I believe. God wants to take us as a church to the next level. I believe God wants to give us a citywide influence a statewide influence. I believe God wants to take you to the next level in your life. I believe he wants to accomplish greatness through you, but it takes you going all in with him. And one of the ways that we're seeking to do that is coming up on August 21st. During that week, August 21st to the 27th, we're doing an initiative called Paint the City Orange. And that's where us as a church, we're saying, okay, we're going to rise up to the next level. We're going to run with the runners, and we're going to serve our city for an entire week in a concentrated effort to rack up as many volunteer hours as possible to let our city know we care, to let them know we're here, to let them know we want to make a difference, and to let them know that there's a church that loves them and a God who cares for them. And so if you haven't signed up for Paint the City Orange yet, I want to give you an opportunity to do that after the worship experience. You can stop by the orange tables and sign up to serve on a project. And hey, just like Deborah said to Barack, it's already done. The plan's already laid out. Now just you got to walk in it and God's going to accomplish it. Paint the City Orange has already been planned out. We got 19 projects that have already been prepared. All of those projects have team leaders. They've talked with those organizations. They're ready to receive us. It's already laid out. It's already planned out. All you got to do is walk in it. And I don't want you to miss out on the blessing God wants to give you in your life because you chose not to serve. At the end of this worship experience, stop by the orange tables, sign up for Paint the City Orange. This is just one way that as a church, we're going to go to the next level. Hey, in a moment... We're going to have our team come down, and they're going to pass out trays of communion. Um, We observe communion each and every week, just as a reminder of what God did for us on the cross, that he loved us so much that he took away our sin, and he rose again from the dead, and he calls us to a new life, a better life. As the trays are passed during this next song, 
There are going to be stacks of cups in those trays. The bottom cup has some bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken. The top cup has some juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed. Feel free to take communion anytime during this next song. But as you take communion, uh, I want you to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to start running with the God who gave his life for you? Are you going to sit on the sideline? God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. He's writing a story, and it's one way better than you could write on your own. And he calls you into that story. He invites you to partake. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church and what you've done in the past month. I pray that this series has been one that's challenged us to rise up to where you're calling us to be. As we rally around this message of being lion chasers, God, would you inspire us to give until it hurts, to, to serve till it's uncomfortable, to bring until we've packed this place out. God, we know you want to accomplish great things through us and in us. And I pray that we don't pass up on the opportunity, but we rise to the occasion and live out all that you want to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.